still with those horrible television news pictures somewhere in the back of our minds, I want to read you as an introduction to today's gospel, the sheep and the goats. I want to read you from the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation 22, (coughs) verses 1 and 2. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit producing its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The healing of the nations. I want to begin with two minor apologies. First of all, I think what I'm going to say this morning is perhaps more thoughtful than practical and if I haven't made a practical connection I apologise and halfway through I want to give a little personal testimony and I've thought about that and I hope it doesn't come from ego so with those two warnings that gospel reading sheep and goats you all know it very well don't you so I don't need to say anything good um In the Middle East, in the days of Jesus, and I suspect even now, sheep and goats grazed together. They were friends. (laughs) And uh, they were only separated so that the goats could be brought inside. Because they were weaker than the sheep. So by the end of the afternoon or the early evening, the goats needed to be taken inside so that they didn't get cold and the shivers. So uh, this separation of goats from sheep was not originally any sort of punishment. It was a shepherd caring, protecting. And it's good to have that at the back of your mind as you look at it. Here Jesus is speaking very much in the style of a Hebrew prophet. And like the old prophets, Jesus speaks truth to power. You know that expression, don't you? Speaking truth to power. That's the context here. As you know, Jesus had exposed the corruption of the Jewish leaders, scribes, Pharisees, chief priests. Our Gospel reading came from chapter 25. The whole section starts at the beginning of chapter 23. Big crowd, and Jesus begins to talk to them, and he's already been very critical of the Jewish leaders. And at the very beginning of chapter 23, and of this section of teaching, Jesus says to the crowd, do not do as they do. 
And you know who you, he meant, don't you? He meant the leaders. Do not do as the, and some of them were, sit, were standing at the back of the crowd. The Pharisees used to go along trying to hear what Jesus was saying and afterwards tried to catch him out with a difficult question. And Jesus starts saying, do not do as they do. And this is all part of the context of sheep and goats. So from the beginning of chapter 23, Jesus builds his case against Israel's corrupt leaders. And there are corrupt leaders today all over the world. The Jewish leaders, therefore, were regarded by Jesus as unfaithful shepherds. They didn't care for God's people. They didn't protect God's people. And they piled on to the ordinary people lots and lots of extra rules and laws. They burdened the people with OTT obligations to the temple and to customs and to man-made traditions. They were unfaithful shepherds in so many ways. And while these leaders themselves strutted about like peacocks in their fine robes. Hey ho! <laughs> oh dear. And, they, and Jesus said they loved to be at the centre of attention. And they are completely indifferent to the suffering of the poor and the sick. When Jesus describes his coming glory in our gospel, he speaks of himself as the Son of Man. And you'll remember that that title, Son of Man, comes from the book of Daniel, where the Son of Man suffers for a huge long period of time. The Son of Man suffers great tribulation. And then finally... He is brought to glory. And so by using his favourite title, Son of Man, Jesus is always hinting at his tribulation, his suffering as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. So here Jesus describes or pictures himself as sitting on his throne in glory. And the nations are gathered to him. Jesus, the shepherd king. And he does the work of a shepherd. He separates the people from one another. He says he separates the sheep from the goats. And if we ask why, why Jesus does this separating as the nations gather before him, why does he separate people from each other, sheep and goats? And of course he gives this simple answer. Let, let me read it slowly. 
Why do I do this? You sheep, on my right hand side, why have I done, why have I done this to you? I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger. You made me welcome. I was naked. You gave me clothing. I was sick. And you took care of me. I was in prison. And you visited me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And just as you did all that to one of the least of those who are members of my family, you did it to me. Thank you. That's all I really care about. Thank you. <clears throat> so we might ask, ask the question, who are members of his family? Because if you did it to one of the least of those who are members of my family... In other versions it says, one of the least of these my brethren. But closer to the Greek is, my intimate family. Well of course, his immediate family members, as you well know, are those who followed him. And they had become like children because they trusted him. And they were sinners who had been saved by grace. And why do they follow Jesus? Well, they don't follow him simply to get saved. No, they've come to see through his teaching the bigger picture. They follow him so that they can make a contribution to his wonderful kingdom that he's bringing on earth. They follow him. So that they can contribute to his renewal of all the nations. Even into the new heavens and the new earth. Put the question again. Who are members of Jesus' his family? His brothers, his sisters. Look at it from this angle. To cut a long story short. When the early Christians... Let me hold it up. When the early Christians got, a, got their first copy of Matthew's Gospel, because it wouldn't have been a book, it would have been a scroll, wouldn't it? You know that. But when, the first, when those early Christians got their first copy of Matthew's Gospel, it would have been about AD 60. They were under persecution. How pleased they would have been, how encouraged to read Jesus' words warning them about the Jewish leaders who by then, AD 60, were leading the persecution in Jerusalem. How pleased those Christians would have been in AD 60 to read in Matthew Jesus saying, don't do what the leaders do. And if you're facing persecution, you're definitely members of my family. You're my brethren and my sisters. 
The persecution started after the day of Pentecost. A little while later, their great preacher, Stephen, was stoned to death. And their leader in Jerusalem, James, was beheaded. And the Jesus followers suffered waves of persecution, both in Jerusalem and all over what we now call Turkey. And eventually, of course, in Rome. And when these Jesus followers were persecuted, Jesus suffered with them, as he does today, when people all over the world are persecuted for Jesus. And we pray for them. Now, just a matter of, matter of fact, being in a persecuted minority meant that you could be flung into prison at any time. And you could lose your job and not have money for food or drink. You might flee away, you might run for your life to escape the persecution. And you end up as a stranger in a foreign land. And in prison, Jesus' followers would be robbed of their clothes, left shamed and shivering cold at night. These are Jesus' family, his brothers and sisters. And he was alongside them. He suffered with them. And despite these persecutions, they still follow Jesus. And Jesus says, my brethren, my sisters, even the least, my special family. And if you were good to them in their need, you did it to me. And so we support and pray for all who are persecuted. And there's another layer of meaning here. And this is where I offer a little bit of my own testimony. In the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. Well, I'm going to keep this really short because I don't want to indulge in ego. But I do want to share it with you. And you may think of little bits in your past as well. My mum died when I was four and a half. Way back in 1954. My dad couldn't look after me. So my mother's sister Gwen said, I'll have Ashley. So she brought me up with her son, Andrew. I learnt over the years that Gwen really wasn't up to the job. She had lost her husband from war wounds in 1952. 
1947, her daughter was drowned in a local park at the age of eight, whilst in the care of Gwen's other sister, Anne. And it got into the national papers. As the years passed, and I became late teens and into my early twenties, and I looked back, and I spoke to uncles and aunties, and learnt about the past, and some of the things Gwen had said. I was aware that even back in 1954, she was depressed, and she was angry. So growing up in that single parent family was not easy for me or my brother. And Gwen was not one of those who gave compliments, who gave verbal encouragements, who praised you. So I didn't have a lot of confidence. I left school when I was 15 without any GCEs, got a job in an office in London, office boy, and was promoted to junior clerk. <laughs> and as a teenager, I felt shy, insecure, and quite worried about my future. Gwen had made both of us join the choir at church and go to Sunday school. And at some point, I was so glad when my voice broke and I didn't have to go to church at the age of 13. Can't sing as a boy, can you? First Sunday, I didn't have to go to church. I loved it. Oh. But in the week, I thought oh, I missed it a bit. So the next Sunday, I did go. And I did begin to seek God, but not very earnestly, and I didn't have much success. But when my church, in 1966, got me to go and hear Billy Graham, I found Jesus. Or perhaps he found me. And as I listened to Billy Graham in Earl's Court... Jesus was all over the building. Jesus was standing in front of me. Jesus was sitting next to me. And people used to criticise Billy Graham. It's all an emotional thing. And I would say, well, I didn't listen much to Billy Graham. I was just aware of Jesus. <laughs> As were so many others. And my life started over and I knew Jesus loved me. And that gave me a reason for purpose. And as Paul says, God chose what is weak in the world. And someone here this morning, that may be true for you, but in a different way. Back in childhood, back in teenage, back in early 20s, or even later. And whilst weakness is nothing to be proud of, our weakness can help motivate our search for God, our seeking for God. And to paraphrase Paul, when you are weak, then you are strong. Our weakness has led us to Christ. I think that was part of my motivation, my insecurity.
And in the Psalms, and I think of Gwen, in the Psalms there's a special place for the orphan and widow. And indeed, we could say that any disadvantage, physical, emotional, any disadvantage anyone may have, could be social, could be mental, any disadvantage is a form of poverty. Mysteriously, Jesus said, blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of God. They are special words. My weakness helped me come to Christ. All right, moving on. What about the goats? What about the goats? What about them? (laughs) Eternal punishment. They did no good to Jesus' persecuted sisters and brethren. The goats had done no good. Can I find relief in a mild humour? I remind myself that about 30 years ago they invented a beer down in Cornwall. A real ale. It was called, and still is, Doom Bar. (laughs) Doom Bar. I expect you've seen it. Lovely. (laughs) Doom Bar. Echoes of shipwrecks and pirates. My, what? Newquay. My first pint was, I think, in Lou. And the shame is it's now brewed in Birmingham. (laughs) So then the question, are the goats completely doomed? Well, they are doomed. The words are written there, and they're written for us to take them seriously. And yet, and in the Bible there's always an and yet. And yet, in Revelation chapter 22, a river flows from the throne of God for the healing of the nations. What is this? Well, it's a surprise. A lot of Christians won't be expecting it because they've worked it all out beforehand. (laughs) But God is full of surprises. Even after the final judgment in Revelation and even after the goats are condemned to eternal punishment there is a hint of abundant mercy for the healing of the nation. It may still involve a painful learning curve for repentance and humble trust and saying sorry. But the river of mercy will be flowing. God hasn't given up on the goats even. 
And I hope that will encourage our prayers for all people. If God hasn't given up on anybody, we shouldn't give up. Continue to pray for them, however naughty they've been. Jesus was the sinner's friend. Don't give up praying for them. And also when we pray for those who have passed on, when we commend them to God's mercy and God's patience. The river flows for the healing of the nation. I can't do it, you can't do it, only God. Amen.